my house shall be called a house of prayer and that's why it's really important that we don't just have a five minute or ten minute segment of prayer or 15 but we actually take time to pray you see um the love world sessions as well we spend actually an hour to pray about different things in the world you know the situation it's prayer that has brought us this far you see the state of the world right now is one that has been controlled and um taken care of because we had saints praying around the world and so peace has been maintained i remember a particular time where i was teaching um, that was in in the foundation year and i was teaching concerning us being the salt of the earth and not a lot of people understood what i meant by you're the salt of the earth in the in the sense of you control the season that we are in and the past few months have revealed to us that it's important that we pray and that through prayer and the prophetic word we're able to shape the world and the times in which we live and the times in which we live so it's amazing and um interestingly this is the month of who knows what month this is it's the month of june of course but what is this month for our ministry it's our month of prayer it's our month of prayer or like Dane just said it's our month of prayer so there's a lot of praying and pastor said we're not just talking about about praying but we're actually praying because um prayer does a lot prayer has a force prayer there are a lot there's a lot of us who have been sustained by prayer we don't realize that the way we are today is a result of prayers we're not just the way we are today we're not godly today or we're not just um disciplined today because we just chose to be disciplined no there's 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 a work i always say that at least i know for sure for certain my mom's knees by 5 a.m are always on the floor and it's a result of the investment of time praying whether it's concerning family business who cares what it is but because of those investment of prayers i know my life has been framed by her prayers and some of us maybe it's not your direct parents it could even be your grandparents but prayer does a lot it changes circumstances and we find that throughout the course of history there's a there's a powerful book by derek prince it's, it, i think it's titled shaping the world through fasting and prayer shaping the world through prayer and fasting but it's like a it's like a recount of how different times revivals and countries and nations were shaped through the prayers of many saints and it's like a recount of, of such events so that's an amazing read as well you know but you see the role that it played you know in the future of a na of a nation I remember when we were dealing with um, even a message, Sons of, of the Spirit, I believe, or Children of the Spirit. We talked about how that if we don't pray, we deny our peace. It's like saying we don't want things to work. Because pastors read out this scripture to us many times in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me see my time as well. First Timothy chapter two. I want to show you this um, from verse one. He says, "I exhort therefore that first of all, above all things, he says, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty." 
So if we're not praying, if we're not interceding for souls, like the rhapsody said, we're saying we're not we're not allowing the peace of God. We don't. It's like saying we don't want the peace of God to reign in the earth. So a lot of us, our lack of prayer has been covered up by somebody else's um, use of prayer. And so this Wednesday um, service, I actually want to discuss with you briefly. I want to discuss with you something very important. And I want to share with you the benefits of prayer. And particularly sharing nine. Nine important or very interesting benefits of prayer. But first, I always like to start off with either a quote or a story or something. Right? So the first quote I want to read to you on this subject of prayer. Is by A.J. Gordon. And it says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. I'll read it again. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. That's by A.J. Gordon. John Mason is another one. He says, frequent kneeling will keep you in good standing with God. So these are some very interesting ones. But one of the first things I want to draw to your attention is that prayer is very internal. The art of prayer, the subject of prayer, the life of prayer. Prayer on as, as, a, as, a, as a, whether you want to call it a concept, an art, or even a practice, is very internal. It's spiritual. I really hope you're also taking notes as well. Of these things. You know it's important. I always keep saying. You come to church to be educated. You come to church to learn. To study the word of God with people of like minds. And also better your own spiritual life. As I said. Prayer is very internal. If you are good within. You'll be good without. That's on the outside. It's very internal. And this is one of the things that, that God had to make me understand. There's a lot that prayer does to you and changes about you. It's not just about changing the circumstance outside. It actually changes you. It does something to you. The result of praying may be seen outside, but the real change happened on the inside. On the inside of you. So, the first thing to really know about when we talk about the subject of prayer is that it is something internal. So, though we see miracles, testimonies, and lovely stuff happening outside, they result from something that changed within us. And so, it's a very, very simple message, but I want to share with you nine important benefits, things you gain from prayer in this month of prayer, especially praying in the Spirit. Allow this wonderful thing called a chain. Right? The first one, when we're talking about the benefits of prayer, the first one is that prayer is our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Prayer is our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The first thing you need to understand, the first benefit you see, is our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Let me read you something. Second Corinthians chapter 13. Second Corinthians chapter 13, from verse 14. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say this all the time. 
and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. This is what we call the, the surely part. But do we listen to what is actually said? Give me a second. Do we listen to what is actually said? He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And I said, prayer is first our fellowship, our communion, our dining together with the Holy Spirit. It's our meeting with the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is that he wants our time. Proverbs says his desire, his heart's desire was always to be with men. He always wanted to be with mankind. I'll show you another one, um, an interesting scripture. In James, in James chapter 4. From verse 3 he says, Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world, friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I, I, I don't like see how explicit that is. If you will be a friend of the world, you love the world with its thing with its things. He says you are an enemy of, of God. You actually set yourself against God. Verse five, very interesting. He says, "Do you think that the Scripture said saith in vain? The Spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy, but He gives more grace." Whereof he said, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. I want to take you from that point. He says, look at this, look at this, look at this. He says, friendship with the world is enmity against God. Whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. What does it mean to be a friend of the world? He says, you are fond of the world. That word there, friend, you're fond of it. You're fond of it. Just that he that loveth his, his life will lose it. You're fond of, of the world and its things, of its activities. And I tell you one thing. Love of friendship is proved first off by time. Time. Time is literally the, the resource given to us to express our will, to express our desire. God knows how much you love him by how much time you spend with him. He's not looking for too many things. He's not looking at whether you paid your tithe. He's not looking at whether you gave your offering. It's easy to click a button. It's harder to spend time. But that's what actually counts. How you spend your time. What you spend your time on. And I said, it's a resource given to you. He says, friendship with the world. When you're fond of the world, you're always, you know, you're always involved in the world's activities. Whether it's with your schoolwork or with video games or shopping, or, or it could be anything that has to do with this world. But the point is, he is saying, friendship with the world, overly being overly fond of the world, where it has now replaced. Because the truth is, I always explain to people that God is a position and not a person. But because we know it is only one being that occupies that position, we know when we refer to God, we're talking to that being, that supreme being. Does that make sense? So, what, 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 what does that mean? Because what does that mean? It means God is this supreme being who deserves or gets our worship, our praise, our adoration. 
Now, when you're friends with the world, when you're fond of the world, when you have this, you know, constant uh, uh, connection with the world and the things, you have actually made the world your God. It's one thing to say, Lord, I believe in God. I believe in him. I, you know, I love him. He's my Lord. But it's actually your time allocation, the way you actually spend the moments of your life that determines whether he is God or not. And this is important. Because it's one thing to confess with your mouth, Lord, I love you. But it's another thing to show with your actions. The word says that we should not love in word only because it's very easy to talk. It's very easy to say. But it says to love in deed and in truth. That's what really proves it. So he says, when you're, if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. He says, do you think the scripture says in vain? Do you think the scripture is being empty when he says that the spirit that dwells in you, what spirit? The Holy Spirit that dwells in you. He lost to envy, meaning he's jealous over you. He's jealous over your time. Every single time that you, 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 know, you spend your, the, your, the moments of your life on other things, on other people, he's wondering, when do I get my chance? When do I get my time? God is not a robot. He feels. We were made in his image and likeness. If you know what loneliness can feel like, God can feel lonely. He can. He can. And it's by the way you spend your time. And what's interesting is that he doesn't share us with anybody. He has an individual relationship with each one of us. That he monitors like you're the only person that exists He's not like, if this person doesn't give me attention, this other person will give me attention. That's not how God reasons. That's not how God operates. He functions as though you are the only person that exists to him. He loves you individually and personally. Your relationship with him is between you and him. So it's not like you're replaceable to him. You're not. You're irreplaceable. So he watches how you spend your time and he wonders, where is my slot within your day? Where is my slot? But you see, we prove this by prayer. Which is why your scope and understanding of prayer has to move beyond asking God for things. That is asking. That is asking. That's just one aspect of a relationship. If you only, only relate with God in that realm of prayer, when you're asking, what does it, I mean, that's not a relationship. That's as good as what you do with Amazon. Right? You just type what you need, order it, and leave. Close web page. But you see that he's more interested in a relationship, a communion. He said the communion of the spirit, the dining together with the spirit of God. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to tell you his thoughts. He wants to share his ideas with you. He wants to share his visions with you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to talk with you. He wants to hear your voice. He wants you to hear his. He has opinions. He has ideas. He wants to share things with you. But if you're never around, if you're never in the home, if you never give him attention, how are you going to hear his voice? How are you going to know when, when he's talking to you? If you're not acquainted with his voice in the place of prayer, don't think you're going to hear it outside. You're not going to hear it outside because you never knew the voice anyway. But this is something, a privilege he gives us. Understand this. In, in that time, in the Old Testament, 
Only one, the high priest, could go into the holiest of holies to meet once a year to offer a sacrifice for sin. They had no direct connection with God. There was a separation. But through Christ Jesus, you have this opportunity. He says, we can now enter by the blood of Jesus Christ freely. We can go through the veil. Meaning, there's no hindrance. Now you have an unlimited experience with God. Aren't you going to take advantage of it? But he says, this is one of the things. So I said, the first benefit of prayer is our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You're spending time with Him. And I said, you prove your love for Him, your dedication to Him by time, 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 time with Him. Spending time. Do you actually spend time with Him? Do you actually love Him? I said, love is proven by time spent with the other. It's not proven by talk. It's not proven by saying. Time. 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 Time with the Lord. Ministering to Him. Singing to Him. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your tunes. He wants to, he wants to actually hear you. Imagine a person that doesn't get tired of hearing your voice. Doesn't get tired of hearing, hearing your, you know, some people, they're so merciful with God. So merciful. Say, I don't want his mailbox to be too full. God reads your every message as soon as you send it. He's not leaving you on, on, on blue tick or, or, or leaving you on red. As soon as you say it, he's like, hey, I want to read the next one. But are you going to spend that time? Are you, are you going to tell him something? There's a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There's a fellowship, a communion, a dining together. And that is actually the chief that encapsulates everything that we're really going to say on the subject of prayer. Because everything else is a result of this fellowship. Everything else. So, point number two. Prayer helps us build our spirit it helps us build our spirit and more especially upon our most holy faith. This is important. Prayer, this is, prayer is a means of spiritual edification. Building your spirit. Are you aware you're meant to grow spiritually? Now, of course, there, this, there, it needs to be distinguished properly. The building of your spirit comes by prayer. In terms of your, your building your spirit, exercising your spirit, building your spirit. But feeding your spirit is not by prayer. Your spirit feeds on the word of God. Your spirit feeds on the word of God. But in prayer, you really put the word of God to work. You contemplate the scriptures. You put it to work. You exercise your spirit. For example, in the word of God. You eat, you, you, you feed on something. Oh, you, you learned that there's a communion of the spirit. In prayer, you put that word to work. You act on it. But he says, prayer helps us build our spirit. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to you. This is one we've read. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from verse 4. It says, he that speaks in an unknown tongue. Remember, I said, benefits of prayer, especially praying in the spirit, right? So, first, why, why, why praying in the spirit? You know, some people are so against speaking in tongues and praying in the spirit. But the truth is that if you realize the new, it's called the new wine. And maybe at some point we're going to take time to understand when we talk about the new wine. 
But this is the new wine. Read the book of Acts. When they got filled with the Holy Spirit and they started speaking in tongues, they said, these men are high on new wine. They actually got, they didn't realize what, what, they, were, what they were saying. It was right, but they didn't have the understanding behind what they were saying. But that was the new wine that Jesus talked about while he was on earth. Now Jesus has gone into heaven. The comfort I sent poured, up, poured out on those who received him on the day of Pentecost. Now they are speaking in, in, in heavenly tongues. And this is the new wine of the Holy Spirit that they drink of, that we partake of. Okay? Now he says, he helps us build our spirits. He says, but he that, so he that speaketh in our unknown tongue edifies himself. He builds himself. It, the, the word actually gives the idea of a building. It's actually a house, like constructing a house, building a house. He says, he builds himself to build a house, erect a building. To build up from the foundation. To restore by building. Restore by building. Meaning this, this language, this prayer language is not just for building. But even where there's a broken part or a missing part. It is able to restore. There's a restoration power. To rebuild, to repair, to found, establish. To embolden. So he builds himself. He restores himself. So you have to keep building your spirit strong. So if you want to be strong, you've got to build. You wonder why you come to situations of life and it's fear that's your response instead of faith. It's because you're not building. You're not building. He says, if you read Jude, Jude chapter 1, Jude chapter 1 from verse 20, we find something so powerful. Jude chapter 1. From verse 20. It says, but ye beloved, building up yourself. Building, you're building yourself. When you say invest in yourself, build yourself like a bodybuilder. Now, what's spirit building? He says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Meaning, the more you speak in tongues like this, and praying the spirit like this, you're actually building a premise of faith. So when the situations of life come to you, you respond from a built perspective. You are ready. So if you find that you come to situations of life and somehow your heart is shaking. You know, the scripture says, be not soon shaken in mind. Don't be so shaken. Don't be, you know, you shouldn't be tossed and, and ruffled by the situations of life. But if you find that that's happening, then maybe this is where you need to arrest it from. Ask yourself, have you been building? When was the last time you, you, you took time? In the gym, you know, it's like people that just speak in tongues, you just speak in tongues five minutes and go. Goes, who pays a gym membership to only spend five minutes in the gym? Who does that? <laughs> like why? They spend time because they want to build. They want to exercise every part. Well, in prayer, that's kind of what ha what's happening. Some people say 45 minutes. Some people one hour, two hours in the gym. Depending on where you're going. As a bodybuilder, think how much. And now he says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. So the question is, how much should I build in these times? That means we need to pray without ceasing. He says, prayer helps us build our spirits. Especially upon our most holy faith. What's your most holy faith? It means your purest faith. The faith that doesn't have doubt. That is, you, you, that is 
a complete believing. When he talks about Abraham, he says he was fully persuaded, fully persuaded. That is no atom of doubt. So you notice that as you pray in the spirit like that and pray in the spirit like that and pray more and more, pray in the spirit like that, fear goes. You're no longer afraid. You no longer doubt yourself. But you see, you have to build. You know, there's a confidence in exercise. There's a confidence. In, even in physical exercise, it shows up. You become more confident because you're proud of your building, of your body. That's how your spirit should be. I remember being in, in children's church that time. And she said, you know, she was teaching us about speaking in tongues. She said, speak in tongues everywhere. She said, speak in tongues. When you go to the bathroom, speak in tongues. In the to- speak in tongues. Everywhere you go, rest- just keep speaking. I keep speaking. I speak. She said, if you keep speaking like that, I'm speaking like that. I'm telling you, you'll be bold. She said, she used to speak in tongues a lot. And so there was this one time. She told us a story about how in her, in her secondary school, there was this person that, you know, was taken. The person used to have this... You know, somebody may call it bipolar, but it was actually a spirit, you know, like when you say, a spirit takes him. A spirit takes him. Something takes over the person. So this person was clearly having that kind of demonic manipulation in their life. She said, and once this happens, everybody will start running. Because people don't know what's going on. But she had been speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues. So for some reason, there was an outburst in school. But... She discovered for some reason she wasn't ruffled in her heart. And she approached him. At, well, it was an girl, So she approached, you know, the person. So it was a female. And she said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. That was her first experience ever. Casting out the devil. But she, did, she said she didn't know where the boldness came from. The person would behave so violent. But even the person, when, when, when the person had seen her, the person was like starstruck. But it's because, you see, demons recognize spiritual authority. First, the authority in the name of Jesus. And her spirit had been built like that. She had been building on her most holy faith. She she wasn't in doubt as to who she was. She wasn't in doubt as to the name of Jesus and the authority of that name. Because she had been building upon that most holy faith. And that means building upon the foundation of her most holy faith. So there's no doubt. Why? Because you've been building. Upon that faith. Building. Spirit, spiritual edification. See? Point number three. And this is very near. I told you, everything stems from that fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Prayer brings us direction from God. This is very important. Prayer brings us direction from God. How important is God's direction? God's direction. You know, one of the things that we must recognize is that we've not been called to a life of confusion. We've not been called to a life where you're ever at a point where you don't know what to do. Let me read you a scripture. John chapter 1. John chapter 12, sorry. And I'm reading to you from verse 34. Look at this. The people answered him, 
we have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness, confusion, obscurity come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light that you may become children of light. I want you to see this. But he that walks in darkness does not know where he is going. I want you to see. Jesus is clearly not talking about, he's not, he's not just talking about a physical darkness. Because usually, when, people, when the place is physically, like physically, is dark, people stop moving. They say, in fact, as a child, they say, stop moving. Don't move anywhere. So you don't trip over something. But he's even talking on a deeper level. Where we talk about spiritual darkness. And because people cannot physically see that darkness, they keep walking. So as a Christian, though you've been born into light, you could be walking in darkness. Says he that walks in darkness. So there is a person that walks in that actually walks in darkness, but they don't know that they are walking in darkness. He says he doesn't know where he's going. Could this be somebody? You're living every day. You get up, you move, but there is actually no light. And the funny thing is, you don't realize, but you are walking in darkness. That is, what is darkness? Walking in confusion. You know, people think darkness is only sin. No, darkness is a lack of light. It's a state where there is no light. It's a lack of light. And you're just walking. You're going through life. Purposeless. But he doesn't expect you. He says, he that follows after me. Jesus said, he that follows after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He wants you to have a direction, to know where you are going. Pastor Chris used to teach that time that there are two destinies that every person has. The, their earthly destiny and their heavenly destiny. That is, the one set by their earthly parents and the situations around them, and the one set by their heavenly father. Of course, they all line up. But you see, except you actually spend time with God and ask him, Lord, where is the future of my life? Where is my life meant to go? What do you want me to do with my life? You could be walking in darkness. There's a pattern of the world. You're born, you go through a crash, elementary school or primary school, you move from there, secondary school, university, graduated the degree. There are people who have gotten all the way to a PhD and still they say, I don't know where I'm going in life. I'm just studying. I'm moving with the wave. But that should not be you as a child of God. I've asked some people, after university, what's next? Okay, I'll get a job. But you see, the person that has, that's why um, um, Rick Warren wrote that book, The Purpose Driven Life. There's a purpose. There's a heavenly purpose. There's where God wants you to be. What God want, wants you to do. But if you've never asked him, you would never know. You need to ask him. God doesn't want you walking in darkness, just merely progressing in the natural, but with no spiritual direction, no actual spiritual direction. There are so many wrong turns, so many wrong jobs people pick up, so many wrong places people go because they, they lacked direction, heavenly direction. He wants your every step. Dear Lord, I thank God, my, my, my mentor, in secondary school he gave me a precious book i think it's the almost the best book i've ever um 
bread in my life. I'm so thankful for it. And it, and it was how you can be led by the Spirit of God by Kenneth Hagin. I say for any person that doesn't know how to follow the Holy Spirit, you're wondering what the Holy Spirit sounds like. That is the book to get. It's so clear. It's so clear. It teaches you the, like the, the very ABC of following the Spirit of God. From that day, my spiritual acuity peaked. I, I, I knew it. There was an accuracy. I knew the voice of God. And he wrote to me on that book. My mentor. He said, trust in that every step you take will be led by the Spirit of God. That's what he wrote to me. And it was in the final year of my secondary school. And since then, I can tell you that the steps I've taken, I'm sure before I enter something. Because the Holy Spirit wants to direct your steps. But you have to give him that opportunity. You have to give him that, that chance. We read in the book of Acts chapter 13 from verse 1. I want to show you. Acts chapter 13 from verse 1. He says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had brought up which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. He says, verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. But what I want you to see is that they, they ministered to the Lord. They, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they were seeking guidance from God. They needed to know where to go. Paul said, the spirit bade me go. He pressed upon me to go in a certain direction. God wants you to move with direction. He wants you to know where to go. He doesn't want you to guess your way through life. But that direction, that wisdom, that guidance of the spirit is available to the person who is praying. Who is in prayer? This is why your prayer life needs to be continuous. Praying daily. Praying daily to the Lord. Having that habit. The Bible says that Samuel ministered to the Lord continually. As a child. He learned this as a child. To minister to the Lord continually. And the Bible says that when revelation was scarce. When the word of the Lord was scarce. There was one person that heard the, heard, heard the Lord in those days. It was Samuel. When God wanted to speak. He spoke to Samuel. He spoke to the one that was ministering to him continually. It's one of the secrets to hearing from God. So you have to pray beyond just when you need something. You need to start praying to be acquainted with the voice of God and to be in line with the Spirit of God. These are the reasons you pray. These are the benefits you gain from prayer. We have direction, divine direction. We know where we're going. I never not know where I'm going because I, I, keep, I keep in prayer. You keep asking Him. You keep talking to Him. And he'll tell you the next step for your life. The next step for your life. This is important. This is important. This is important. Okay? You got that? The next point. We're on point number four now. And that's prayer. Helps us live and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Prayer helps us live, live and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. I want to read you this, Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 18. 
Remember, I talked to you about new wine. I told you from the book of Acts when they were staggering like that and, 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 and joining in the Holy Ghost. He says, Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 18. He says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Greek says, be being filled with the Spirit. Meaning God wants you to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit all the time. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled in the Spirit. Live full of the Holy Spirit. This means replete with the Holy Ghost. Inundated with the Holy Ghost. Meaning there is no downtime. This is his dream. Maybe you've not been living like this before. You can decide. That you know what, from today, I want to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Everything I do, I do in the fullness of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit from the wilderness and came to the temple and preached. Peter was filled with the Spirit and spoke and 3,000 gave their hearts to Christ. Could you live full of the Spirit? Could you be a student full of the Spirit? Everybody knows this, this guy, he stays full of the Holy Spirit. This girl, she stays full of the Holy Spirit. She lives in that fullness. She's conscious of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see why some of this is important. But it helps us live and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And how do I know that this happens through prayer? Because in the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 from verse 20. Let's take this. Okay, so they're praying here. From verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed. These are the disciples. The place was shaken. Where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the result of their praying. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. I'm going to get to that. But you see this. He says they prayed and they were all filled with the Spirit. So prayer. Praying all the time. Praying for time. You know, you have those special times of prayer. But you also have where you move out. Right? On your way. Everywhere you go. You release some tongues. And you live in that fullness of the Spirit. You walk in that fullness of the Spirit. It's important. You're full of God. Your responses are now filled with the Holy You know, you give Holy Ghost inspired responses. You don't respond anyhow. But you respond from your spirit. How God would have you respond. And of course, you can then get the next point from there. And they speak the word of God with boldness. Meaning prayer brings boldness. Prayer gives us boldness. Gives us boldness. It's important. Boldness, boldness, boldness. I've, you know, people have been asking me different questions. Every time, you know, they say, oh, you have an exam. You have this. You have... I tell people, the secret to every exam, after you have read, you have studied, you have done it, the next thing is boldness, is confidence. If you are not confident, it's enough for you to fail an exam. See, confidence is the gap between you looking at the clock and sweating about where, whether you still have time or not and you actually putting down some things on paper. Confidence is the gap between you just worrying about, forgetting information, trying to recall, and you actually sitting down. And information is coming to you. Boldness. 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 Boldness is key. It's important for you to be bold. Bold with your decisions in life. Confident. That's how he wants you to live. This is the life he's called you to live. A bold life. Where you're not scared of anybody, of situations. But you're bold. You're confident. And the Spirit of God is the one that gives you that boldness. He gives you that boldness. You're not timid. 
Worry can't fasten itself to you. Because you're a person of prayer. It brings you boldness. It brings you boldness. Not sure we can get to all nine. But I guess I'll take, I can take one more. I can take one more. And that's that prayer. Prayer helps us make tremendous power available for change. It helps us make tremendous power available for change. It helps us make tremendous power available for change. James 5.16 You know, God has called us to a life of dominion. He's called us to a life of boldness. He also doesn't want us to be stranded. There's an access he's given us. Let me read you something. Ephesians chapter 1. So that you, you, you see this. Ephesians chapter 1. I've got a few more minutes. So I'll, I'll wrap up with this. But Ephesians chapter 1. From verse 18. Paul is praying. He says, That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. He's praying for believers. This is for believers. He's saying he wants you to know, your eyes to be enlightened, to really come to fully understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working, he now gives us the measure of this power. He equates it to something. He says it's that power that, that raised Christ from the dead. He says, that's the power that's available to you. That's why Andrew Womack always makes that confession. I've got resurrection power inside me. I've got raising of the dead power inside me. You have to know it. You have to know it. Because in life, you are limited by your knowledge. If you think that such a thing is not possible to you, for whatever reason, that's enough to cap you at that point. Take, for example, a driver who only thinks that his car has two gears or three gears. Meanwhile, it can go to gear five. He will keep shifting within one and two. One and two. He's going to remain there because that's all he knows that he has. But the car itself is capable of going all the way to five. It's capable. But he's going to keep shifting within those ones in his limited knowledge. And that's how it can be when you're not receiving the, the knowledge of the word of God. When you don't know what's available to you. So that's why I said prayer makes tremendous power available. You need to know the extent of the power. If not, situations will come and you say, ah, that one is not within my power. That one is not within my ability. But God is saying you can change it. You can. You can. Why? Power that could raise Jesus Christ. Understand this. Out of not just physical death, but spiritual death. Because he went to hell. That's spiritual death. He was separated from the Father and cast into hell. It brought him back from there. And he was raised from the dead, glorified, the glorified Christ. He ascended, was glorified. And that's the power available to you on the inside of you. That's what we see in James 5.16. It's available to you. And it says prayer helps us make this power available. Available for change. So there's a situation. You can get, gather a few friends. And say, hey, let's pray about this. 
you have to learn to produce testimonies. Testimonies don't, they don't necessarily like fall out of anywhere. You produce them. That's what faith is for. Someone like asking God to do something that he already told you to do. The reason he told you that you can make tremendous power available is because he expected you to do something about the situation. Not him. He gave you that power. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power. Ability to cause change. If you still bank on him to change the situation, you're, you're, you're as in, it's like, I mean, he gave you the authority. He gave you the power to do it. And you're still asking him, Lord, when will this change? When will this change? This situation that I'm in. Meanwhile, he's looking to you as well. He's saying, I'm ready to work with you. Are you going to pray? Are you going to make power available? So we can effect changes through prayer. For the sake of time, I'll wrap this up around here and we'll take the, the other points in our next engagement or in our next meeting. But I want you to study, take time to look at each of these, even if it's just after now. Look at each of them. Find out where am I lagging or lacking. And make a plan to buff up that area to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take charge of this situation. I'm going to be prayerful. Maybe it's the boldness. Maybe it's the confidence. Maybe, maybe it's you're not walking and giving your spiritual responses. You're not responding from your spirit. You're responding out of the flesh and the weakness of the flesh. Go strengthen yourself. Go build yourself in prayer. Decide you're going to do it. Decide you're going to do it. And God will strengthen you. He'll help you. He'll encourage you. That's why we received him. The strengthener, the comforter at work in us. The power at work in us. I remember Sinatra used to sing that blessed song. You are the fire in me. You are the power at work in me. You are my ever-present helper. Holy Spirit, I adore. You used to sing that. You're the fire in me. You're the power in me. There's something in you. And you have to recognize it and take advantage of it.